I believe in Christ, he is my king. With all my heart to him I'll sing. I'll raise my voice in praise and joy, in grand amens my tongue employ. Scriptures reveal the divine desires of the Lord in our behalf. Each of us should have a burning desire to search the scriptures diligently and daily to seek the will of the Lord in our life. Brothers and sisters, on very thin pages, thick with meaning, are some almost hidden scriptures. Hence we are urged to search, feast, and ponder. If you are lonely, please know you can find comfort. If you are discouraged, please know you can find hope. If you are poor in spirit, please know you can be strengthened. If you feel you are broken, please know you can be mended. Hi, welcome to Go and Do. Today we're covering uh, 2 Nephi chapters 26 through 30. Um, I'm Daniel. And I'm Feely. And today we're joined by Mark Burgess. Thank you for having me on your show. Absolutely. Uh, today we're going to talk about uh, how to recognize and choose the gospel of Jesus Christ versus other influences or distractions, uh, the emergence of the Book of Mormon in modern times, how to identify and avoid the deceptions of Satan, and the Lord is always proceeding to restore the church, and we should seek to continue to better ourselves also. At the introduction it says, Nephi wrote, I prophesy unto you concerning the last days. And it says, in other words, he was writing about our day, and there's reason to be concerned about what he saw. People denying the power and the miracles of God, rampant envy and strife, the devil blinding people with strong cords. But in addition to these works of darkness, Nephi also spoke of a marvelous work and a wonder, led by the Lord himself. And at the center of the work would be a book, a book that speaks from the dust, that exposes Satan's lies, and that gathers the righteous like a standard. The book is the Book of Mormon, and the marvelous work is the work of the Lord's Church in the latter days. And the wonder is that he invites all of us, in spite of our weakness, to participate. Right off the bat, I think one of the cool parts in the, the first chapter of this lesson, Nephi is already preparing the way for Christ's visit to the America. Um, he says Christ's teachings will be the law that supersedes the previous laws. And he says, you know, they'll come visit our my children. He, he'll come visit and he'll teach and whatever he teaches will be the law. And so if we think about like the, the purpose that John the Baptist served, there were all these prophets. I mean, we're talking from Nephi for 500 years, little by little, they were preparing the way for Christ to come and bring the the new law to them. And I thought that was really cool that he's, I, I, never, I guess I never really realized that he was talking about Christ coming so far before anybody else was, you know. Right. There, there's a verse in here that made me feel very sad and it was in, in 2 Nephi chapter 26, verse 7, where Nephi says, Oh, the pain and the anguish of my soul for the loss of the slain of my people. So he's going to see, he's going to see all these generations pass away. He's going to see the wickedness, the Gadianton robbers, you know, everything. But he's seen it beforehand. But then in verse 8, he says, But behold, the righteous that hearken unto the words of the prophets, and destroy them not, but look forward unto Christ with steadfastness, for the signs which are given, notwithstanding all persecution, behold, they are they, we shall not perish. And that's very similar to our time. We're also preparing for the second coming of the Savior. And and then he, he goes to talk about all the generations that are going to pass away in righteousness, the ones that are going to dwindle and not believe. And then verse 11, I think it's when it starts, he starts kind of giving us insight into what may happen in the future. He says, for the spirit of the Lord will not always strive with man. And mm. when the spirit ceases to strive with man, then cometh speedy destruction 
and this grieveth my soul. So on that part, I think it's not only talking about individuals can have the Spirit with them and also lose the company of the Spirit, but also the apostasy, right? That at some point, he's talking about, you know, through the fourth generation of people, after Christ comes, there will be righteousness, they'll live in peace and happiness. But then the Spirit will leave if you don't strive to keep it around. And that's exactly what happened. As, I mean, Christ came, and you'd think that would set them up forever. Yeah. But even then, there were people that kind of stopped striving, and over time, they lost connection with the Spirit, and things kind of went back to the way they were before. I kind of wonder how, what experiences has Nephi had to have written this verse. Maybe Laman and Lemuel. <laughs> his brothers. He saw his brothers. He saw his brothers go from a little bit stubborn to they could repent. You know, they, they had to have a little powwow and then, okay, all right, we'll 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 continue on this journey. So becoming, as Lehi said, they become past feeling. And, and for him to see that in the future, this this is going to happen as well to people who... And, and it's very much, I mean, a, a good advice... I've seen this in my life. I, I see, you know, I get a prompting to do something and I decide, no, I'm too shy or no, someone else will do it. And then I realize, then I go pray and ask for help. And then I think, well, I did. I haven't been listening. We we tend to put things off. And, and this, I mean, what I'm trying to say is this verse can apply to us individually. Yeah. As we try to be disciples, as we try to tune our lives to the Spirit. The the other thing that, that we see in here is we then start seeing how the Lord manifests himself unto all those who believe in him in, 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 chapter, in verse 13, by the power of the Holy Ghost. Yea, unto every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, working mighty miracles, signs, and wonders. And that that that's a very that's a very Book of Mormon message, you know. <laughs> yeah. That the Lord has manifested Himself to many people, Definitely. and He does it through the Holy Ghost. He does it through working miracles. He does it through helping. And you know, we we have the record of the Bible, and we have the record of the Book of Mormon, but we also believe there's more. That's not all the work that the Lord has done. And later on, as we go through this lesson, we'll hear, you know, the famous section where it talks a Bible, a Bible, we have a Bible. Where people say, oh, the Lord has ceased doing miracles in our day. And, and you know, the philosophies of man mingled with scripture start start being scattered about the earth. Well, even, even in the second half of verse 15, like towards the end, it says, yet the words of the righteous shall be written. And the prayers of the faithful shall be heard, and all those who have dwindled in unbelief shall not be forgotten. For those who shall be destroyed shall speak unto them out of the ground, and their speech shall be low out of the dust, and their voice shall be as one that hath a familiar spirit. So he's basically saying even those that have forgotten the truth and have stopped living it maybe, and have dwindled in unbelief, they're not going to be forgotten. The prayers of the righteous are still there. The righteous have still written down the gospel. And they'll still have an opportunity to hear it. And uh, I think that's really awesome that they that he includes that in there. Because there is kind of a lot of a lot of times that we think about, well, they you know, the Lamanites fell away, and then the Nephites fall away, and then the Lamanites fall away. But even then he's saying the ones that have dwindled in unbelief, they're not forsaken forever. You know, they still the, the the scriptures still testify to them and the prayers of the faithful still testify to them. And that I think applies today also. Well, he makes it clear that all mankind is invited to find salvation. Yeah. And his arm is extended continuously. It's it's never really been withdrawn. So he he truly is no respecter of persons. You there's no predestination. Uh, we we all have the opportunity to choose to follow the Savior or not. Yeah. And, and that message we find consistent in all scriptures. In earlier in the earlier chapters of the Book of Mormon, we hear 
those who are keep the commandments are favored of the Lord. In when when Christ in the New Testament comes, he he challenges them. Well, do you think because you're you're children of Abraham, you're special? I can raise children of Abraham from these rocks, right? Meaning, if you're not doing what's right, you're not favored. You know, even though you've had every opportunity. On here, um, in the section in the in the manual where it says Jesus Christ invites all to come unto Him, there's a little quote from Prophet Joseph Smith, where it says the Prophet Joseph Smith taught, Heavenly Father is more boundless in His mercies and blessings than we are ready to believe or receive, and then it gives us a couple verses to read, mainly speaking about. How in the end there's going to be pride, there's going to be stumbling blocks, There's men will build up many churches, they'll put down the God, the miracles of, of God, there'll be envying, strife, malice, secret combinations. But then the the lesson asks us to, to read the next verses and it says, what do you learn about the Lord's boundless mercy? And the verses are, for behold, my beloved brethren, I say unto you, I say unto you that the Lord worketh not in darkness. He does nothing save it be for the benefit of the world. For he loveth the world, even that he layeth down his own life, that he may draw all men unto him. Wherefore he commandeth none that they shall not partake of his salvation. And that that's very contrary to how we feel Oftentimes, religion comes across as very exclusive. See, a special club you have to join, and we're we're this we're this team, and you're that team, and we we might as well fight with each other because because there can only be one team. And he's trying to say, no, all of you are supposed to be on the same team. Those that keep the commandments, he, everyone is invited. Well, it's interesting because in verse twenty of chapter twenty-six talks about how the Gentiles are lifted up in the pride of their eyes and have stumbled because of their great the greatness of their stumbling block. And they have built up many churches. Nevertheless, they put down the power and miracles of God and preach up unto themselves their own wisdom and their own learning. They may get gain and grind upon the face of the poor. And that's kind of what you're talking about, where it's like that's where that kind of feeling of, of discontentment towards religion comes from. That's where those divisions start, is when men start saying, well, I'm going to start my branch, and I'm going to take it this perspective and this view of it, and this is what our dogma is going to be. The phrase, they put down the power and miracles of God and preach up unto themselves their own wisdom and their own learning. It's like, it's a, it's a visual, right? They put down the miracles of God and preach up unto themselves. What does that look like, though, in real life? Like, how does someone preach up themselves? I, I can I can think of maybe what I've seen growing up in 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 other and being closer to other faiths. I see that oftentimes we put place people or things as in in between us and Christ, as if we have to approach someone mm. in order to have a relationship with Christ. Like or, you can't do this on your own. You have to go through me. Right. And or I have this special training or this special knowledge or experience that you don't have. And so for God to listen to and, you, you have to go through me. And you know when, a lot of times when but, um yeah. And there was the the reformation and 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 um it was very much, you know, when when um was it Martin Luther who translated the Bible from into German, from Latin to German. And the big fear was you cannot let the common people read it and interpret it for themselves. Because they'll just, you know, you you lose influence, you lose power. And that's when, when Martin Luther, he said, I will cause that even a plowboy shall know more about the Bible than these people who claim to be learned. And that's not unique in just of that era. The same thing happened when Christ came during his earthly ministry. He challenged the people. They used their position as teachers and examples 
to to put people down to gain power and that and then we here in doctrine and covenant section 121 it is the sad disposition of all men when they gain a little bit of power to exercise unrighteous dominion you know and later in mosiah 319 for the natural man is an enemy to god and has been since the fall of adam and will be unless he yieldeth and that's the thing corruption pride strife all these things creep in if you don't actively prune your garden if you don't actively try to keep them out you know? well in the latter part of that verse also it says the reason why these people do that is that they may get gain and grind upon the face of the poor what does that mean what do you think that means to grind upon the face of the poor cuz i i mean i take it's one thing to take advantage of those who are in need um, or to convince people to follow you and to give you money. But I think kind of what I, what I envision is that you're taking advantage of the people who are in physical need by saying, if you follow me and you do what I say, then like if yeah. you sprinkle this holy water on your bills, they'll disappear and they'll all be paid. You know, you're taking well, advantage of that. And also spiritually, where you're saying, like you were saying, only through me can you receive the knowledge you need for salvation. So come and, you know, make sure you leave some in the offering for me. You well, know? I also think very much, you know, I grew up in Venezuela and I remember my grandma going to mass. My grandma wasn't well off. She didn't have much money, but almost all her energies went into giving and helping. And it it's a great example of someone who's caring but also everyone has a desire to know why we're here everyone you know wants to have that purpose and and i think to use to use our desire to come back to our heavenly home to be one with god to use it for our personal gain mm. is it's just you're grinding the faiths of the poor, you know. You know you're 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 making a mockery. I think a generalization could be made by saying that you know anything that distracts us from Christ or limits us from Christ, and that's a recurring theme in these chapters. Yeah, is is means by which people are deceived by limiting either uh, the words of Christ that have been written or the direction of our faith or, you know, how we should be focusing our lives. And so anything that distracts us from that is going to be the opposite of what we should be doing. Right. Yeah, and it's that same principle that we talked about a couple lessons ago with the Great and Abominable Church. Even these churches that are being mentioned, it's not necessarily saying literal churches. They're talking about, like you said, anything that's distracting us that we're paying more attention to than we are the gospel, that could be a church, right? Uh, or a false idol in right. some cases. It doesn't have to be an organization. There, there's something interesting in, in, <clears throat> verse, in chapter 26, verse 29. He says, He commanded that there shall be no priestcraft, for behold, priestcrafts are that men teach and set themselves up for a light unto the world, that they may get gain and praise of the world, but they seek not the welfare of Zion. And then the next verse, it's very, it's it's really good as well. It says, Behold, the Lord hath forbidden this thing. Wherefore, the Lord God hath given a commandment that all men should have charity. And we learn that charity is the pure love of Christ, which charity is love. And except they should have charity, they were nothing. Wherefore, if they should have charity, they would not suffer the labor in Zion to perish. Well, and that, that to me shows that charity is the antidote to priestcraft, right? And you, they, they can't be in the same place. You can't be doing things for your own gain and praise of the world. And at the same time, doing it charitably. <laughs> it's not possible. Um, charity is selfless. Charity is just out of love. And so if you're doing it for gain or for praise, 
um, obviously not seeking for the welfare of Zion. As I went through these chapters, the recurring theme that I kept seeing, and maybe it's just speaking to me, but yeah. is that there's the Lord is saying that there is no middle ground. You're either with him or you're not. And that's a hard concept to understand, but that seems to be, as I said, what keeps recurring in different different ways of pointing out that principle. And so I sort of thought to myself, okay, where is the dividing line then? Hmm. If Are you in or are you out? And because he... It doesn't come out and say, well, if you're a member of the church, you know, if you're a member of the Lord's church, you're in. If you're not a member, you're out. Because he's clearly speaking, Nephi is clearly speaking to everybody, whether you're a member of the Lord's church or whether you're a member of some other church or some other belief. He's talking to everyone. And so I started piecing together some of the things that suggested whether you are in or out and, you know, on which side of the middle ground or the dividing line that you would be. And charity certainly is one thing on my list that I noticed in here. Lack of pride, pride being the the antithesis, pride being on one side and so the lack of pride being on the other. Uh, A laborer in Zion Hmm. is one or what you do to support or not support the laborer in Zion, Um, a willingness to receive all of his words. In other words, that includes not rejecting. I'll I'll accept some, but I'm rejecting these. Can't pick and choose. (laughs) And then uh, lastly, keeping all his commandments. Those are the things that I picked out that seem to define which side of the dividing line you're on. Yeah, that's that's great. I think... um... <clears throat> to add to that, I think uh, in, in verse 25 of chapter 26, it kind of talks about what the Lord's approach to all of this is. Because as there's people, he gives examples of people that are doing kind of the wrong side. Then he says, but he says, behold, doth he cry unto any saying, depart from me? Behold, I say unto you, nay. But he saith, come unto me, all ye ends of the earth, buy milk and honey without money and without price. Like you were saying, if if you're doing the right stuff, if you're on the right side, then you know that what what does the milk and honey represent? It represents the promised blessings of the gospel, right? The promised land, um, exaltation, and that doesn't cost money. Oh, even the blessings that we receive in life. Yeah, and it doesn't cost money. Just your willingness, your humility, and your obedience, right? Um, I thought that was really interesting. There's one one verse, the last verse on chapter 26 that I'd like to share that I really, really like. And there's so many levels to this. <laughs> but it says, For none of these iniquities come of the Lord. And he's talking, in the previous verse, he's talking about they set the Lord in vain. They, they, they have envies, they have malice, they have whoredoms. And so it says, For none of these things are of the Lord. For he doth that which is good among the children of man, and he doth nothing save it be plain unto the children of man. And he inviteth all to come unto him and partake of his goodness, and he denieth none that come unto him, black and white, bond and free, male and female, and he remembereth the heathen, and all are alike unto God both Jew and Gentile. And I really enjoy the plain part, the plain message in there, because I often, my I like plain things. I like simple things. <laughs> I'm just simple-minded maybe, right? But I often think the Lord's gospel has, gets, has been twisted, has been made so complicated and they've put almost these these gaps because they don't have revelation they fill in with their philosophies and and almost always is born out of a good place but like you said within time 
it leads to corruption and it falters and it doesn't provide enough for salvation. And there's just two thoughts as I as I read all of these scriptures, I thought, how important is the gift of the Holy Ghost? Because hmm. he will testify to us truth. And we'll we're gonna read in, in chapter 28, Satan seeks to deceive. And there's many tactics he uses. How important is it to have the gift of the Holy Ghost to discern? And the other one is how important is to have continued revelation? Because we find that what was revealed to Moses may not be applicable to us. The principles may be the same. The doctrine doesn't change. But the practices, the application, and we've seen that very much in our day in the last several years with changes in the temple, in the missionary program, in the ministering or the home teaching program, in the way we we have our, our Sunday block. You know, this actual method of studying, the come follow me, the principles are the same, but the practice is different. And they've they've added more understanding, more expectations, you know. And and I I just that to me is such a testimony because we are living in a time where all the prophets have been prophesying about the last dispensation. It's the one that isn't gonna fail. All their dispensations ended in apostasies. And and ours is not. And one of those reasons is we have the priesthood. We have, you know, revelation. We have a living prophet. Yeah, in in chapter twenty-seven, it kind of one of the main tools um, for that restoration is brought up by Nephi. He talks about how the Book of Mormon will come to light in in the future, and uh, mentions a lot of specific stuff. I mean talking about how it will be taken to the learned they shall not read them for they cannot read a sealed book and we know that martin harris borrowed uh some some of the characters and took them to professor anthon at columbia college to show him you know here's some of the characters are these real characters what can you tell me and uh, that pretty the whole scenario that nephi describes happened where a guy is like well where is this from it's from this book well bring it to me well, I can't. And he's like, well, I can't re read a sealed book. And in the in the manual, it says, you know, there's been some dispute as to the details of that interaction. And sure, maybe it wasn't word for word that way. But the point is that this is a prophecy Nephi is talking about that will happen in the future. And it did. And it was how the Book of Mormon would come about. Actually, these all these five chapters <laughs> is really a, sort of an outtake in the narrative of the storyline that we are used to reading the history and religious things that are going on with the Nephites. And then, and then we have these five chapters that suddenly he's really making this profound series of prophecies. And it really shows what a great prophet that <laughs> Nephi was. I mean, this is right up there with Isaiah and and um, Joseph Smith and John the Revelator. Uh, I mean, he's, he's, his prophecy, this is written, he's writing in 500 B.C., and he's talking about, and to, a generation that is 2,400 years in the future. Yeah. And, and so to get these things so exacting as he has um, is really astounding and, and, and really shows that, you know, what a grasp, what a great prophet that he was. I think it has a lot to do with the vision that he had after he started seeking uh, for guidance on the, the dream that his father had when he started seeing the future and seeing how things would happen. And I think maybe he probably saw all of this and he knew that at this point in chapter 27 and 28, 29, 30, he knows that he's getting old, you know, and he knows that it's almost time to move on. And he may be like, you know what, people, listen, here's what's coming. This is why this is so important. This is why this matters so much, because everything we're doing here will be as a voice from the dust in the future, right? And it will bring the truth to people who don't have it. 
and who have not been striving and who have lost the Holy Ghost and we'll help it happen. You know, and I think a lot of that is is that spirit of prophecy, but also like these are his immediate descendants. This is his family. And he's like, things aren't perfect. I know that some of you, you know, are maybe hanging in there a little better than others. But listen, this is why this matters. This is why I'm so adamant about it. I think that's really cool. I also think in verse 20 of chapter 27, there's an interesting phrase. He says, Then the Lord shall say unto him, The learned shall not read them, for they have rejected them, and I am able to do mine own work. Wherefore, thou shalt read the words which I shall give unto thee. I am able to do my own work. This is the Lord speaking. And I think he's saying, you know, the learned may not read them, but when it comes down to it, I don't need that. I don't need justification from anyone. I am able to do my own work. The work will roll forward. Well, he's able to develop someone like Joseph Smith, who's willing. Not learning. Give give him the learning. Right. And that's the thing. I see that a lot sometimes. (laughs) It's a weird example, but I see it a lot in hiring. When you're interviewing people and hiring, it's really easy to teach the job. It's really hard to find someone with good work ethics. And you can you can have knowledge, but not the ethics behind it, the discipline and the and the ability to continue to learn. And and I think I I also like that verse uh, that stuck out to me when he said, "I'm able to do my own work." Meaning he's going to take a plow boy <laughs> and use him. And not just him, but then he's going to take a gentleman like Brigham Young, who for a long time was like, I have want nothing to do with these missionaries until someone touched his heart. And he's like, okay. And all, all the way to us, he's able to take us and let us go on missions and let us hold the priesthood. Send a bunch of 18-year-old boys out there yeah. <laughs> to teach the most important message well, on earth. Well, I think that's the, the important point is that he, we all qualify for that assistance. I've been amazed at watching individuals that have come into the church as adult converts and, you know, who I've known a little bit and, you know, known kind of a little bit about their background and their way, you know, of life or and the challenges that they have suddenly been able to overcome with the help of the Lord's grace and blessings and watch that transformation, um, particularly after baptism. I mean, the amount of knowledge and understanding that they are able to acquire is just amazing to me and it's a miracle really so that leads us to the section of chapter 28 satan seeks to deceive many of satan's lies and tactics are exposed in nephi's description of the last days in second nephi chapter 28 why do why do you this is a, this is all from the manual by the way but this is the question it poses to us why do you need to know about satan's lies what will you do when the adversary tries to deceive you well what are the lies that it's talking about what are the ones that it mentions that god is done doing his work but it you know we have enough of it in in verse 5 uh, well, in 4, it talks about priests shall contend one with another. So contention. And uh, and they shall teach their learning and deny the Holy Ghost. Which is kind of deny revelation. Deny the need to continue to receive, right? And then in 5, it says they deny the power of God. And they say unto the people, hearken unto us. Hear ye our precepts. For behold, there is no God today. For the Lord and the Redeemer have done his work. Right. And he has given his power unto man. And then it continues. I mean, almost every verse after that is just some A little warning. sin is justifiable. Yeah. Right. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. All is well in Zion. There is no devil. There is no hell. Yeah. Eat, drink, and be married. But God will justify committing a little sin. 
And it's just a lot of different philosophies, which we know Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ are so merciful. He loves us so much. He's going to give people every opportunity to change. But why is it dangerous to think, I'm going to put it off. I'm going to put it off. I, I think that's the real danger I see. Because in the parable of the laborers, I love that parable. It tells us people will be working all day. And some may come through the middle, come at the middle of the day. And some may come at the very end. And they all get the same reward. And it's supposed to be, they all make it to heaven. They all make it. But what's the dangerous in us being there at the beginning and saying, you know what, I'm going to go take a detour. I'm going to come back at the end of the day. And I'll do it then. I'll repent then. I'll, I'll, you know, once I'm done with school, this is a really fun time. <laughs> I'm going to test the waters. You know, I got to get to know things. And then I'll clean up my act when it's time to go on my mission. I think the danger, not that the Lord can't fix those things. Not that there can't be a mighty change of heart. But the danger is, is as we put off something, we're giving in and it's going to be harder. Well, it's that flaxen cord that it mentions, right? He leads you by the neck with a flaxen cord until he can put stronger cords on you. Maybe you're saying it's not that big a deal. Maybe you're saying all is well in Zion. Or we're all going to end up making it. It's okay. You know, I'll just, I only do a couple things I probably shouldn't do, but it's all right. It's not that big a deal. It's not like I'm killing people, right? Uh, you start to justify things. You start to, to think about it that way. And then pretty soon you do find yourself uh, distanced from the spirit because the spirit's not going to hang out there. After a while, he's going to say, you're not really listening. You're not striving. And you're not striving to keep me around. So I'm going to go. And that, that's when we're in trouble. Those verses, those prophetic verses that, uh, you know, are talking about the end times and basically, in a word, the ungodly, whether it's denying or, or whether it's um, sin or whether it's persecution, whatever form the ungodly take. I, I don't know that the millennials really have the perspective that the baby boomers like myself have about the changes occurring in our society around us. Uh, just, you know, when I watch an old movie, if you will, one from the 70s or 80s or even in the 90s, it was not unusual to see a core part of the storyline to be talking about faith in God in one form or another. And now you hardly ever see that come up in movies. I mean, I'm just talking about a routine movie that could have easily have left it out. It was in there in the 70s and 80s. I grew up in a generation that the atheist was a rare commodity, uh, or at least, uh, you know, one that, uh, but now I think it's, it, it's much more common. Uh, so we are growing up now, we're seeing a new era in, you know, it, on a nightly news broadcast, it was not unusual to hear the anchorman talk about faith in God in terms of, you know, the happenings that he was talking about. It, it, God was mentioned. God was part of our society. It was part of our culture. It was integrated uh, on some level with almost everybody. Yeah. And now it's just flipped on its head, really. It's very offensive to people. It's offensive, yes. Because it implies, I can't do whatever I want. I, I've seen a little bit of that where I, I see individuals who want everything to be allowed. We should accept everything. And, we, you know, we, we should, every every behavior is fine. You're not hurting anybody. But then they don't want anyone to look at them. So it's, it's very contradictory. Kind yeah. of just, uh, I think a lot of times, like a, a lot of these lies that Satan tells that we've mentioned, even 
you know, we tend to think of them as people of the world, but my gosh, members of the church are definitely falling in this as well. All of us are, are victim to some of this. Uh, verse 24 in chapter 28, Therefore, woe be unto him who it, that is at ease in Zion. Right? If you think you've made it, watch out. Or, or you're impervious. Yeah. I, well, I go to church and I take the sacrament and I, I study my scriptures. Then I'm good, right? No. Like, you can't let your guard down. You can't become slothful. Uh, the scripture in, in Doctrine and Covenants, be not weary in well-doing. Like, keep going. Keep persevering. That's That's the whole... Uh, endure to the end concept is not just withstand life until you die. It's keep pushing, right? Keep Keep improving. improving. The one thing I would say, the balancing factor in our lives, once we know the path, once we are disciples of Christ, once we've made covenants, the balancing factor is the gift of the Holy Ghost. To know, hey, I need to go a little bit more this way. Or not worry about that and just have faith and hope. And on others, I need to actually get to work and, and scrub this thing out and, and work hard on this aspect. And we find I find a lot of individuals who are either very laxities, not a lot, but there's a there's a temptation to be either very laxadaisical. I'm it's a membership, I pay my dues. I'm there, right? Or they're very hard on themselves. Yeah. The atonement is real for everybody, but not for me. I've done too much. I can't. I have to do this. I have to do this. I have to do this extra. And either we we don't, it's so, we don't look or we look too far. And those are temptations and tactics Satan uses against members. Now that you know, we're either going to make it too simple just don't worry about it or we're going to make it so complicated and hard on you that you're not going to feel like you belong and i think it's the middle ground we have to find that middle ground where you know there's one scripture as you were thinking um it was in the verse before in in chapter 27 i mean in the chapter before chapter 27 verse 32 there's a similar warning and they say and it says and they that make a man an offender for a word, and lay a snare for him that reproveth in the gate, and turn aside the just for a thing of naught. I've been trying to understand what that means. And the thought that came to me was, oftentimes, even in our history, even in church history, there are things that we don't know. We don't know. We have records. We have certain journals. There are some things that we don't know how certain things went down. And oftentimes we find something we don't like and we like to discredit. Oh, Joseph Smith was, must have been a fallen prophet or, or this and that. Or we make a man an offender for a word and turn aside the just for a thing of not. Meaning the, the restoration the fruit of the restoration is the Book of Mormon. The promise is in the Book of Mormon. We can know if Joseph Smith was a true prophet of God. If all of this, if, and if that's the case, then we know that the priesthood was restored. And then we have all this unbroken line of authority from John the Baptist and from Peter, James, and John all the way to President Nelson. In none of these men, as great as they are, are perfect. And the church isn't the church of the prophet. It's the church of Jesus Christ. And we read continuously in all the scriptures, the Lord working with his prophets, correcting them, teaching them, training them. And we skip, we, we forget to think that that same model may currently be happening with our current prophets. And it's the same model that happens in our own lives in a different way. We don't have their responsibilities, but the Lord will mold us, will change us, will help us. And the, the, the Daniel of 2020 should be very different than the Daniel of 2010. 
I think it was President Monson that said something like he came across a friend and he said, my gosh, you haven't changed at all. And it took him aback a little bit because he was like, I haven't seen you in 10 years and you say I haven't changed at all. Like, I, I hope I've changed. I hope I'm different. I hope I'm better. But like the improvement that you're talking about, those the, the verse that came to mind is in chapter 29, verse 9. And it says, And I do this that I may prove unto many that I am the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that I speak forth my words according to my own pleasure. And because that I have spoken one word, you need not suppose that I cannot speak another. For my work is not yet finished, neither shall it be until the end of man, neither from that time henceforth and forever. And when I hear that, you know, the first, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. The principles I'm teaching don't change. But because I've spoken one word, you need not suppose that I cannot speak another. And the, the things that came to mind when I read that were some of the changes we've, we've experienced recently in the church, the changing up from home teaching to ministering. You know, that's people might see that as, well, if home teaching was the right thing to do, then why change it to ministering? Because he, th- he figured it was time. The combining of the high priests and elders quorum, you know, into one quorum. The things like uh, even talking po- policy changes or polygamy or things like that. Just because it, I said something at one point, this was a commandment, doesn't mean that I can't come and say, this. here's further revelation. Here's another way to improve and, and increase. Well, I like to look at it kind of going back to the city of Enoch. They figured it out somehow, right? <laughs> well, Enoch was a great prophet. And they were at a time, and but according to their agency, they didn't need to be here anymore. You know, the city of Enoch was taken up. And then for us, you know, the contrast is, you know, you have like Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> and the thing I love about the Book of Mormon, especially in Second um, Nephi chapter 2, is when we see Lehi speaking about agency. And opposition in all things. And that we're here to learn to act and not be acted upon. And then we we get all of this these marvelous um, prophecies from Nephi. Trying to say, here are all the ways in the future you're, Satan's going to try to influence you. To take away your agency. To blind the children of men. But in the end, the Lord says, I will do a marvelous work and a wonder that will confound the wise. And and it's just, it's really interesting to me because in the scriptures, we have many examples. We have an example like the city of Enoch. And then in Doctrine and Covenants, we get the United Order that didn't work out very well. Hmm. And was one because God wanted something or, 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 or was it based on our agency? And I think... The more we're prepared, the more he's willing to give us. And we're reaching a time, like President Nelson has said, as the Lord influence, as the as Satan's influence increases, the Lord will increase his influence. We've gone from a handful of temples to hundreds of temples around the world. And that's just, you know, to counter the influence and to allow people to make covenants to learn the truth. And the things we learn in the temple are pretty simple things. The creation, the the, the way we 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 make covenants, you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ, families being together forever, how how to have the correct order, how to have a right society so we can be in God's presence and be comfortable and be and be safe. It's that, that constant uh, striving to to become more like him and to improve and to listen for when there are changes and to uh, it's that line upon line precept upon precept the temple it illustrates that perfectly I, I have a quote I want to share from a, a an article written by Lori Fuller Sosa on the it was it said digital only on the church website churchofjesuschrist.org and it's called, You Don't Know What You Don't Know. And uh, the quote from that 
piece says, uh, this is one of my favorite pieces of our doctrine, actually, that God gives us tr- gives truth to all his children and that they have truth to share with us. In our church, we talk about having a fullness of the gospel, but that doesn't mean we know everything and we're not the only ones with answers. Elder Neal A. Maxwell of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles put it beautifully, Jesus Christ lives today, mercifully granting unto all nations as much light as they can bear and messengers of their own to teach them. And it's not just religious truth that God gives his children. As President Russell M. Nelson explained, whether truth emerges from a scientific laboratory or through revelation, all truth emanates from God. All truth is part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've seen that light and truth in so many books and people and places, while looking at books on art, visiting mosques, hearing speeches from scientists, volunteering with agnostics, they've all had the truth to teach me, how to treat others better, to be kinder in my assumptions. In other words, they've taught me ways to follow Jesus Christ, but I had to be there, even if it was unfamiliar, and I had to listen. And I think that's really um, impactful, because if you think about it, we 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 are in a process of a restoration where we talk about the restoration sometimes as if it was an event that occurred and was over and now we're just carrying on with what was done but all these changes all these revelations we continue to get every general conference and in between now that's all part of a continuing restoration and it's all truth that's still coming and uh what we what we contribute to the world is the book of mormon and the church that exists as it does today. And that's what we can share with others. And they probably already, the reason why it might feel familiar to them or might feel correct to them is because it resonates with things that they already believe, right? That they maybe didn't know the details of, but it, it resonates with their spirit. And they feel like, yeah, I, I've always kind of felt that way, right? And in th- that connection that we're making with people, that's that's really what the gospel is about. The idea of, the restoration still unfolding um, is something that I've heard in even, I think, last general conference that was mentioned. But that's kind of new language or different (laughs) language. 50 years ago, 60 years ago, um, you would not have heard that in in general conference because the, the general feeling was that the restoration... It is completely restored, and so I think I think that's it's a, just a matter of syntax. Um, the idea that all of the saving ordinances that we need have been completely restored. So in our time, uh, the, the the restoration is completely restored from a standpoint of gospel ordinance saving ordinances from from a standpoint of salvation and what we need to do but from a standpoint of gospel knowledge or perfecting the saints it it, it's not it's still ongoing and even in these chapters um he spends a fair amount of time talking about the sealed portion of the book of mormon and i think a lot of members forget that not the entire book of mormon was translated and given to us. This book that we have is only a portion because we don't have the sealed portion yet. And so clearly there is other knowledge yet to be given to us that is of importance that the Lord has withheld. So we don't have it all. And he also talks in these chapters about words, the Lord's words that we'll receive from the lost tribes. Now, whether that will be in the form of a book, like the Book of Mormon was, or whether that will be piecemealed to us in the form of, like, Dead Sea Scrolls here <laughs> and Apocrypha there, I don't know. But well, And he definitely says in these chapters, you know, that there, this is not all that's been written. I have, I love all the children, even the ones on the Isles of the Sea. You know, he he's talking about... You know, there's there's a lot that's out there, and there's a lot of people that I've revealed the truth to, and it will all come forth. The truth will all be revealed, right? Scriptures that go along, I think, with—I really like that quote that you mentioned. Um, 
and and with what you said um in chapter 29 verse 10 and 11 it says wherefore because that ye have a bible ye need not suppose that it contains all my words neither need ye suppose that i have not caused more to be written for i command all men both in the east and in the west and in the north and in the south and in the isles islands of the sea that they shall write the words which i speak unto them for out of the books which shall be written, I will judge the world, every man according to their works, according to that which is written. And I find that very comforting in the fact that oftentimes we feel, I feel, well, what about the people who haven't? And I don't know. We don't know all the workings. They could have had their prophets. And they have, you know, there's books. There's more than the Bible in the Book of Mormon. There's more knowledge. And and we are judged according to what laws have been given to us. And, and many times in the Book of Mormon, we'll see how merciful the Lord is to those who don't know. And it's just a little bit more frightening to those that do know and choose not <laughs> to act correctly, you know. But um, for a long time, religion has given this vibe of, there's a very exclusive few. Come join the club or else you're going to be punished forever. And that is, as I look at this, the plan of salvation, as I, I look at scriptures, as I listen to the modern prophets, the, the Lord loves everyone. And I, in my mind, I envision, you know, when we, when we draw the plan of salvation, we draw the three spheres, celestial, terrestrial, terrestrial kingdoms. I envision the celestial being a very big sphere and the other ones being very small in my mind because I feel there's a lot of good people and some don't know where to find it. And that's part of part on us to share the good news, mm -hmm. you know. And we know there's a millennial. We know there's a spirit world. We know, you know, God went, uh, Jesus Christ went there and organized the saints to go preach unto them. You know, we do temple work. But one of the biggest symbols of our religion, these temples, for those to have the opportunity, yet we tend to treat each other as, you made a mistake. I'm never talking to that bishop again. He said something funny to me. He looked at me funny <laughs> one time. And it's like, that's so contrary to this, to this plan, you know, to God's mercy and love and the charity that we spoke of at the beginning. Well, we're here to work out our own salvation. And yeah. so that's that's the key that you're talking about. If we find imperfections in others, whether it's historically or in our present day, um, we're not here to work out their salvation. Okay. We're here to help others work out their salvation. But we're not here. Our principal focus needs to be our relationship, our personal relationship, with Christ and what we are doing personally in our own lives. And that's the focus that, that we should have. If we have a testimony of this sacred book, the Book of Mormon, these, you know, we read these chapters, we read these verses as we study them, and we feel the Holy Ghost opening up our minds, giving us understanding. Um, showing us how it's applicable in our life to be a better person. That's a testimony that this is real words, that these are the Lord's words, because that's their intended use, you know, yeah. is for us to apply them in our lives to be able to grow close, closer to Christ. And so if it, as we experience that and as we gain a testimony of that, then, you know, we continue to exercise our faith in our salvation and helping others' salvation. And that's really the bottom line. The Book of Mormon is truly the keystone of our religion, and that a man and woman will get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than by any other book. And if you then go and do what he would have you do, your power to trust him will grow. And in time, 
you will be overwhelmed with gratitude to find that He has come to trust you. There is no end to the good we can do, to the influence we can have with others. Let us not dwell on the critical or the negative. Let us pray for strength. Let us pray for capacity and desire to assist others. Let us radiate the light of the gospel at all times and in all places, that the Spirit of the Redeemer may radiate from us. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.